Let's pray as we come before the Lord and His Word. Lord, it is in weakness we come before You, acknowledging our dependence on You, Lord. Were it not for You and Your gift of grace, were it not for Your hand on our lives every single day, we'd wither, we'd fade away, we'd revert back to our sinful ways constantly. We'd be lost. And so, Lord, as we come in humility before your throne this morning, we pray, open your word to us, your living word to us. Make the words come alive in our hearts. Change us. Give us the faith as you grow that faith in our hearts so that we become like you, Lord Jesus. Teach us now. Give us soft hearts before you. Give us open ears and then give us feet that will walk where you've taught us. Amen. Well, if you've joined us this morning for the first time, we have been going through the book of Hebrews and we've kind of been working through it. We're in chapter 11 now, so we're getting towards the end, although there's still quite a bit of content to go. And it's so rich. And I hope you've appreciated the richness of this book. And so I'd ask you to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. Um, can I just see who's got the Bibles here? Come on, people. I haven't been here for a while. Just doing a survey. Great. You faithful people. Thank you. <laughs> or scroll up in your device, of course. And uh, we're going to read from Hebrews chapter 11. And I hope you appreciate where we're at in this chapter. We started off with the person of Jesus Christ. If you just want to page back. To the first few pages in Hebrews, we started off with the supremacy of Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus Christ. It's the faith He puts in us. It's all pointing to Jesus Christ. And you see, we're going to be turning back to that again. And slowly, as we go towards the end of the book, it focuses in on Jesus Christ all the time. And then, as we go through to chapter 2, there's a warning. Don't neglect your faith. If you start neglecting your faith, that's when you start falling away. And it will soon, you will soon go where your eyes are. I've seen that lesson over and over. You go where you're looking. If you're looking to the world, that's where you will be walking. If you're looking to Jesus Christ, and He is the one who is your vision, you will be following Him. And then we go through the book and there's these examples given to us of great men and women of faith. We had the, the example of Moses and how Jesus is much greater than Moses. And remember, the whole theme here is trying to encourage saints who are starting to lose their way, who want to go back to Judaism to say, no, don't go back there. Jesus is so much more supreme. Stick with Jesus. Stick with the real faith. And he will help you through. He's greater than the great Melchizedek, who was one of the great faith heroes, uh, especially in Judaism. And then we go through, as we are now, towards chapter 10, um, looking at faith. Faith is not just, uh, it's not just this nebulous thing, as we've seen. Faith is actually very tangible. We've seen that faith means obedience to Jesus Christ, an immediate obedience to Jesus Christ, no questions asked. Faith is following Jesus where he leads us. 
Even though we don't know the outcome, we know the Savior who leads us, and so we follow Christ. And then we had these examples of faith is um, shown to us in these great men and women who are listed as the heroes of faith, and we've been looking at a few of them. And so we carry on with that list this morning. And so we're in chapter 11, and I'm going to read um, chapter 11 from verse 23, starting with Moses. Now, I know we've done this. But it just leads us into where we are today. So let's look at Hebrews 11 verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as if on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And then we get to today's passage. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured refusing to accept release, so that they might rise again to a better life. Take note. He's talking about the Old Testament, man. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world is not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens, and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Take note. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What's your life like? You suffering? Fifteen forty four. As Giles Tilleman was brought to the place of burning, where he saw a great heap of wood piled, 
he asked those around that the greater part of the wood would be taken away and given to the poor. He said, you'll only need a little bit to burn me. Also, seeing a poor man standing there looking at him as he went, he, he requested that they give him his shoes. Better, he said, to do so than to have my shoes burnt and the poor perish for cold. Standing at the stake, the hangman was ready to strangle him before he was burnt, but he refused, saying, There's no such need that this pain should be mitigated, for I fear not, he said, the fire. Do thou therefore as thou art commanded. And thus the blessed martyr, lifting up his eyes to the heavens in the middle of the flames, died, to the great lamentation of all who stood by. That was Brussels, 1544. Tell me, my friend, this morning, how much is your faith worth to you? Are you willing to suffer for your faith? Or when you come under pressure and people ask you about being a believer, do you always take the easy option out or comply with society? When families speak to you and they might even make fun of you, and your faith. What's your response? When your friends, when your colleagues at work question you about your faith, what is your response? When society puts this pressure on you to not live up to the principles of your faith, what is your response? How precious is your faith to you? What are your circumstances like where you've got to live by faith? Are you willing to persevere for years going through hard times, if that is what it takes? Where are your eyes? Are they on the one who's invisible? You see, you'll go where you're looking. Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. There's a whole sermon there. But are you looking to Jesus? Are you following him through life, bearing the cross of suffering, if that's what it's called for? Is your faith willing to trust Jesus at his word? Full stop, no questions asked, no buts, ifs maybe. You see, as we look at these heroes of faith, we see imperfect people living out their faith in practice. And the writer to the Hebrews is running out of papyrus and is running out of time. And so the names of these who put their faith into action begin just to tumble out of him without the stories that went with them. But stories his readers would know really well. Those who heard the book of Hebrews read to them in a letter form would know these heroes of faith really well. How familiar are you with these heroes? I mean, there's going to be a bit of a test today. Let's see. Gideon, Judges chapter 6 to 8. And I've given you these references. And if you don't know who these heroes of faith are, I really ask you, write down these references. Take note. Take pictures, whatever you want to do. But go and read up about them. Because so many of us don't know this Old Testament history. So important. Gideon, Judges chapter 6 to 8. What did Gideon do? 
He was a man of initial weak faith. There he is hiding from his enemies. But he put his wavering faith into action. And what happened as a result of that? He saw the invading army of the Midianites and the Amalekites, who were like locusts spread before Israel, put to flight by only 300 men. What were they armed with? Submachine guns? No. No, no. A torch? Pottery? A torch hidden in that and a ram's horn. That's it. So from a human perspective, only a fool would have attempted the mission, right? I wouldn't have wanted to be part of that 300. But from faith's perspective, only a fool would not attempt this mission. When God had given direction and power, you'd be a fool not to obey. That's Gideon. He doesn't tell us more. You can go and read more. And then there's Barak, Judges chapter 4 to 5. He was a general who was a bit of a wuss. And it took the prophetess Deborah to inspire him to tell him to get up and to get going and do his job. As our wives do. And so he attacked Sisera's powerful invading army. And the Lord gave Barak specific commands, which Barak then obeyed unquestioningly and to the T. But he needed to be inspired first. And so Barak got no credit for his victory. It all went to the Lord. And then there's Samson. I'm sure you remember Samson. The powerful guy, Judges 13 to 16. He was physically powerful, but he was gullible. He was immature. He was selfish. But he was spirit-filled. And God used him, in spite of himself, to deliver Israel from the Philistine invaders. And so he faced these Philistines, not in the courage of physical prowess, but in the courage of faith. And through all his warts, old Samson was still a man of faith who remembered when it really counted, when his strength was taken away, that God was the source of his strength. And when he remembered that, he brought the house down. And then there's Jephthah, the man with so many H's in his names, you have to learn to spell it. Judges chapter 11 to 12. He was an Israelite warrior. He was the son of a prostitute. It's not a good beginning, is it? But he delivered Israel from the Ammonite armies. And so despite his spur-of-the-moment foolish vow he made, and do you, do you remember that vow? He vowed that if the Lord helps us through this battle, the first person that comes, no, the first thing that comes running out of my house, I will sacrifice. He hoped it was a goat. But when he came back from the, arm, from the battle, his little daughter came running out. And he had to keep his vow before the Lord. Terrible. A rash vow. A, a weak human. And yet his trust was in the Lord and his power was from the Lord. And so he's listed here among the faith heroes. And then we have David. You should all know David. Come on. King David. 1 Samuel 16 to 31 and 2 Samuel, most of the whole book, is all about David. He was Israel's greatest king. But he had his, his weakness, didn't he? 
He was imperfect. He was an adulterer. He was a murderer. He escaped King Saul's attempts to kill him. He conquered the surrounding kingdoms. Yes, he established Jerusalem as his capital. And he also became the most important forefather of the Messiah. And that was God's doing. His unquestioning trust of the Lord was obvious from his boyhood. Remember Goliath? A few stones, a sling. The rest of the nation didn't want to go there. And there's young David. I will trust the Lord because he has put me here in the situation. And so God calls David, despite all his weaknesses, God calls him what? Acts 13 verse 22. A man after my own heart who will do all my will. Do you see God's grace at work? In our weakness? And then there's Samuel. 1 Samuel 1 to 25, last of the judges. He was a failed parent. His sons made a mock, ran a mock in the temple. But he was the one who became the great prophet, who anointed Saul and later David, who would be king over God's people. He became a great prophet because of God. And then we have all the prophets listed as the writer to the Hebrews. He just says the prophets. And there are many mentioned in 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, all those who authored the major and the minor prophets in the Old Testament. But you see, so many of these prophets were killed for standing without compromise for God's word through them. God said, I want you to say to the people of Israel or to the people of Judah, do this. This is what the Lord says. And when they spoke the words, the people killed them. But their faith was in God. And so they get listed, these prophets, under the heroes of faith. Tell me, are you encouraged yet? Why do I say that? Because these people mentioned here, all of this whole list, were all human like you and I. They were then human weakness. And yet, when they put their faith into action, and they gave their faith back to the Lord, the faith that He had given them, He used their faith to do great things. And they came to the Lord with all their imperfections and their doubts, but they put their faith to the test against all circumstances because God was there. Where are you in your faith today? Do you give back to God a weak human being who wants to trust Him? God honors that. And so our writer to the Hebrews starts naming some of these exploits. And this is where the test is going to come in. I'm going to see if you know some of these faith heroes, right? Are you ready? Here we go. Take notes, however, when we go through this now. God doesn't take them out of their circumstances. God gives them the faith they need in the circumstances. I don't know where your life's at today. God gives us the faith we need in the circumstances to endure. He doesn't necessarily take us out of those circumstances. Let's see. Verse 33 to 34. Who shut the mouth of lions? Come on. God did. Now you said Daniel. <laughs> Daniel was in the lions then, but God shut the mouth. I caught you. Are you ready now? All right. Who was there when God quenched the fury of the flames? Oh, yes, 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 he was inside the flames. Yes, okay, good, gotcha. But who were the three guys? 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Tobijigo. All right? You got those? Grand. Alex, you ready for the next one? Who were the women who received back their dead in the New Testament? You remember? The widow of Zarephath and Elijah raised her son from the dead. And then the Shunammite woman and Elisha was involved. And he also raised her son from the dead. Amazing, isn't it? Still remember those ladies? They mentioned as being the heroes of faith. Because they trusted God at his word. Right, let's see if you know this one. Who was tortured and refused to be released? Quite a few people. All right, so, yep, you just name a name. The word tortured here is the word timpani. And we get our word for kettle drum from there. And the way they used to torture people in early days was they would stretch them over a hollow tree trunk or something like that. And then they'd beat them to death. Timpani. Torture. Relentless and repeated hitting of the body. And why did, says scripture, why did these people refuse to be released? Here's the reason, and take note now. So that they might rise again to a better life. He's talking about people in the Old Testament too. So that they might rise again to a better life. I would rather die than give up my faith. You can beat me like a kettle drum. I will not give up my faith. And so easily we give up ours. You see, their primary concern, as he lists these people, was not for the safety of their lives, but for the safety of their faith. Are you concerned about the safety of your faith? Or are you more concerned about your life? And being comfortable. You see, the real question here is, how real is the resurrection to you and I? Is it real? Do you know in your heart that if they take away my body, I will rise again. The Lord will call my name and through death I will hear Calvin come forth. And I will rise up and he will make it possible and I will walk from the dead resurrected. Do you believe that in your heart as a fact? Because when people put pressure on you, you need to know it doesn't matter what they do to my body, my soul will rise again. And with it will come my new resurrected body because Christ has promised that he will do it. I put my faith in you, Lord Jesus. Is that where you're at? I don't know why this passage is coming to us as a church now. I don't know what your life is like right now, but God knows. He has brought his word to us. We need to hear. And then there's another one that the, he speaks about, verses 36 to 37. Let's see if you know who this is. Who was beaten and put in stocks? Anyone know? Old Testament. Jeremiah. Who was that? Impressive. Whoever that was. Jeremiah, yes. Beaten and put in stocks. Jeremiah 20 and uh, um, chapter 37 to 38. And then... People spend time in prisons, says our writer to the Hebrews. Now, there's many that can be named here, but people were put in prison for their faith. And many of the Hebrew writers, fellow believers, would have been put in prison for their faith because the whole Jewish cohort would have come against them. Judaizers would have made things 
so impossible for them that many of them landed in prison for their faith. And so he writes this book. And then there's others who were jeered and flogged, chained and put in prison and stoned. Anyone think of a suitable person that would fit that description? Apostle Paul comes to mind. Yes, definitely. There were others. Sawn in two. Let's see who knows this one. Who was sawn in two? Thank you, Old Testament scholar. (laughs) Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. And it was during Manasseh's reign. And if you want to read more about it, there's an apocryphal book, which is a historical book written called The Ascension of Isaiah. And there it describes by Christian tradition how Isaiah, at the end of his life and prophecy, was sawn in two because they didn't want to hear. And many others, says the writer to the Hebrews, wondered about in animal skins. Anyone think of anyone in the New Testament, animal skins? John the Baptist, thank you. Wandering around in the deserts, in caves, in the mountains, in holes in the ground. Not an easy life, is it? And it could describe many of the life of the prophets, including Elijah, Elisha, and Ezekiel. Well, that's enough of those faith heroes. What are the lessons we get from these? And we'll find this in chapter 11, verse 32 to 38. What does he want to say to us through this passage? He's saying this to us. Number one, he's saying, Faith in God carries with it no guarantee of comfort in this world. We need to hear this. Faith in God doesn't bring a guarantee of comfort in the world, in this world. Actually, it brings us extreme discomfort. He's warned us. Jesus said to us, look what they did to me. If they rejected me and the prophets, what are they going to do to you? Those who follow me. And that's why he says, take up your cross and follow me. It's the cross of discomfort. The cross of suffering for the name of Jesus and for the faith which is in Jesus Christ. You see, and that's why I ask the question, how much is your faith worth to you? Are you willing to suffer and to die if needed? without renouncing the Lord and your faith in Him? Are you willing to refuse to walk away from the faith? There are those who've walked away. And we know them. We can count them. You see, all the people listed in this text this morning, all the people listed here were not willing to sacrifice their future on the altar of the here and now, the immediate. You see, we are in the immediate. Stuff happens to us and we're tempted to give up because it's all too hard and we forget about the future. And the question this, and, and the statement that comes to us from the book of Hebrews is, are you willing to offer the future for the sake of the here and now? How strong is your faith? How much is it worth to you? And the second question we get from this, and I've already brought this up, is this. Where are your eyes? Why do I say that? Because if you look at uh, chapter 11, verse 38, it says these people that are listed were of whom the world was not worthy. These were people who lived such beautiful lives before the Lord. The world was not worthy of them. You see, we're so easily jaded. We're so easily get spiritually exhausted by the world's values and everything the world demands of us as believers. But God wants us to put before our eyes men and women of persistent, consistent 
faith as our role models. Men and women of the world of whom the world is not worthy. The word worthy is the word axios. It means they're not worthy or fit or deserving to be part of this world, but they were for an example to us to follow. And the Lord puts many of those people in our lives for a very specific reason so that we would have someone human to look at as they follow Christ. And I've mentioned a certain person here before so many times. I'm not going to mention his name again. But I follow him as he follows Christ. Because I look at him facing death and I say, Lord, the time I, when it comes to my time to face death, teach me to face death like him. Gracious in death. Confident of where I'm going. Knowing that I will be resurrected. Teach me to die like that. Lord. And then we think of our ultimate example. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. How much less is the world worthy of the Son of God? The one who was also humiliated, abused, whipped, scorned, and tortured by crucifixion, but who died for the world so that they might come to him and be forgiven and saved and yet to hate him. The world is not worthy of such a savior. And yet his grace is extended to them and say, come, any who would come, come to me and be saved. And there might be some of you sitting in this auditorium this morning. You are still living your life. You still have not bowed to Jesus Christ. You're still living in your own strength before him. My friend, I don't want to face eternity without Jesus Christ. Because there's only one outcome. There's only one who is good enough to stand with us before the Father. And that is the Father's Son. And to say, this one belongs to me, God. I died for him, her, so that they might live. Are you on your own? Or have you bowed the knee to Jesus Christ? Don't ever stand before the Father and say you never heard. Calvin Yonker, short, bald guy at the front, is saying that to you this morning. Hear God's word to you this morning. You need to come to Jesus Christ and be saved. He is the only way to the Father. He died so that you might live. But you need to bow the proud knee before him and give your life to him. Will you come? And as I look at this list of people that we're looking at in Hebrews chapter 11, there's only one prayer on my heart, and it's this. Lord, put the kind of faith-filled grit faith in me that motivated these early saints. Put that same faith into my soul, Lord. Give me grit in my soul. By faith. You think we threw the passage, there's only two verses to go, verses 39 to 40, but here's a massive truth here. Verse 39, and all these, that's all the ones who've come before now, though commended through their faith, listen to this, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that's us who are reading this, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. How does that all fit together? This truth really jumped at me this last week. You see, what it says here is that these saints of old who've been listed here, and you and I here in 2022, 
we are joined together in faith. And God takes our faith and he takes their faith and together he makes it perfect. They need our faith, we need their faith. How does that work? I'm going to give you the example of an arty thing. Now, if you know me, I draw stick figures and I get them wrong. But I sit here in the presence of people who do art. So I'm doing this humbly now. Pointillism. What is pointillism? It's a technique used in, in art where the artist takes small strokes or dots of color and they apply it to a surface, myriads of little dots of different colors together, and then they rely on the human eye to merge those colors together so that in the end, when they're finished, a picture emerges. All right? If you look at this one, if you go up close here, you see little dots all over the place. And the eye merges that picture into an artwork. Your television screens work very much the same way. You might have a 4K screen or an 8K screen. All it means is that um, those little pixels that make up the various colors on your TV, they're just kind of more together or less together, depending on how expensive you bought a TV. And you get a beautiful picture or a bit of a grainy TV screen. All right? It's the same thing. It uses the human eye to merge the picture and to make it a picture. All right? Now, what am I, where am I going with this? You see, what does the Lord do? He says there's a partial fulfillment he speaks about here. As, his, as, his great men and women, as great as these men and women of God were, they didn't see the ultimate picture of faith in God completely fulfilled by the time they died. It was only a partial fulfillment. Many of these Old Testament saints didn't know about Jesus Christ. They knew about the Messiah, the Messiah who would come, but they were, their faith was a forward-looking faith. They relied on the Messiah who would come. They didn't understand all the theological implications. And those of us, after Jesus' death, we look back to his death, and we rely on the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And God takes that faith of the Old Testament saints and the New Testament saints and he paints the big picture of his faithfulness towards us using our lives as these little colors that he puts together into the big picture of his faith to humankind. So we're all needed. We're all little pixels that God uses to paint his picture of his faith, of his grace at work in our lives. We can't do without the Old Testament saints, then half the picture's missing. They can't do without the New Testament saints and those of us who will still come until Jesus comes, because then the other half of the picture's missing. Together, God makes the picture of faith. Their faith and our faith is brought to perfection together. That's quite an amazing thing. And it re never really hit me until this last week. You see, we're quite selfish in the way we live our lives. We don't look at the people around us and their faith journey. We need them as much as they need us. And that's why we're to reach out to each other and to help each other as we go through this life, as we journey through by faith. We need, we help, we need help from each other to go through this life's journey. As a church here in Whanganui East, we need each other as we live our lives before the Lord because we don't want any pixels missing. And God will ensure that not one of us is left behind. But he uses people in human form to do that. And so the message here is this, and this is the point. It is don't give up what the saints of old longed to see. Persevere in your faith. 
at all costs. You and your faith and my faith are being formed into a big picture of faith. God's picture of us and his work in us. So what do I do with this? I want to repeat those four main uh, points of learning for us. First one, how much is your faith worth to you? Are you willing to pay any cost to persevere? Faith in God carries with it no guarantee of a comfortable life. He says, carry your cross as you follow me. Secondly, God uses our imperfect faith to achieve great things. I love that. And so put your imperfect faith in Christ, the perfect Savior, and He will do amazing things through you and I. Third thing, where are your eyes? In chapter 11, verse 27, we see that Moses kept his eyes on Him who is invisible. I love that. And we are given visible saints to follow as we follow Christ. As we read about them in Scripture. And the prayer is, Lord, give us that grit-filled faith that motivated these early saints to carry on. You all know what grit's for in the railways. When a locomotive was spinning its wheels on a wet track, they would pour sand under that big wheel. And it would allow that wheel to grip and to give it forward traction. Lord, give me faith with forward traction. And then lastly, and here's a point of encouragement for you and I. You and I are not alone in our faith struggle. Together with the faith of these old saints of God, God paints a picture of His grace at work in humanity. And that's why He says... In chapter 12, verse 1, which we'll carry on with next time. Therefore, having looked at all this, he says, since you are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, persevere. You're not alone. You're running into the auditorium, and there's a great massive crowd, and it's not you at the center. It's Christ watching you running. Persevere with all these saints, and God will do his work in and through you and I. Don't give up. Persevere. Amen. Lord, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for passages like this, which just help us to take that next step. And then that next step, when, when the troubles of this world hit us, when those waves of life come crashing in on us, when the sickness comes our way, when we don't know which way to turn, Lord, help us to turn to you and by faith, to see Jesus Christ and to follow you step by step. And you give us the faith and the strength to persevere. But Lord, help us not to turn away in those moments and to blame God. Help us not to get angry with you. Help us to, to crawl closer into that rock in which we can hide. And to find our refuge in you. Give us faith when our sight shows us something completely different. Give us faith, the faith of the saints of old, which you have also got for us. Help us, we pray, in our weakness. Amen.